Hello, and welcome to the Partnerships for Progress podcast, conversations to fuel innovation in higher education. In today's episode, I sit down with Deba Dare, Executive Director and CEO of Quality Matters, to talk about how teaching and learning is evolving in an increasingly digitally connected world. Listen in as we discuss trends from the 2023 Chloe Report, the various modalities being sought by learners, and potential tactics institutions can implement to ensure quality in online education. The eighth installment of the Changing Landscape of Online Education, or CHLOE Report, was published in August 2023 by Quality Matters and EduVentures. The report offers an overview of the current state of online learning in higher education, as well as insights into its future development. Recent findings suggest online and hybrid enrollment is growing. Institutions are quickly aligning their strategic priorities to meet online hybrid student demand. And quiet quality assurance may be happening at institutions where methods for ensuring quality are not well communicated to learners. I'm thrilled to sit down with Deba Dare, Executive Director and CEO of Quality Matters, to discuss the importance of quality assurance in today's learning ecosystem. Deb, thank you so much for joining me. Very welcome, Amanda. Happy to be here. So teaching and learning is evolving in an increasingly digitally connected world. How has the higher education space changed over the last 10 years, especially in light of the impact of the pandemic? I guess I want to emphasize that the pandemic, I think we all realize this, was interruption and a disruption that actually changed the trajectory of the growth of online education. But I do want to be clear that online learning was really on the rise in popularity before the pandemic. I think before the pandemic hit, we probably had about a third of students had taken at least one online course. So this wasn't brand new. And in fact, the growth in online digital learning was beginning to outpace the growth in other kinds of enrollments. So I think what the pandemic did for us was not only did it force students and faculty and everybody online, unfortunately, they forced everyone online in a very short amount of time. I would say the approach to online learning, except at those places that had been practicing it and had implemented quality practices, was not ideal. The other thing the pandemic let us better understand was the importance of student preparation for online learning faculty preparation for online learning and support for online students. And I think even for those institutions that had fairly robust online learning programs or courses, the pandemic still showed that we may not have been serving our students as well as they needed to because they weren't necessarily as prepared as they should in terms of learning in a remote environment. So it it was really good for awareness in general about how do we better support our online learners. It did expose lots more students and instructors to remote teaching and learning, and it revealed the possibilities of learning in that modality to both students and faculty. And I think that has driven a lot of the interest that we're seeing today. And to be clear, the interest is is higher on the student side than maybe the faculty side, but the faculty are also looking at more innovative ways. I'd like to say it increased the imperative to improve quality of digital learning. And I think it it is happening longer term. It wasn't immediate because I think the first reaction was, 
well, we're jumping online. We haven't prepared. We don't really have the skills. It didn't go well. Therefore, online learning must not be any good. And I think we had to fight that misperception. And I think we're largely there. I think everyone now understands that what happened during the, the pandemic was emergency remote instruction. It wasn't quality online learning. Agreed. And with all industries, the disruption that higher ed is experiencing when we interface with technology requires us to all be a bit adaptive. And sometimes that comes with a heavy load of weight for financial transformation, investments, and a whole shift, as you mentioned, in practices, training, onboarding. And so I imagine that there's, it's a daunting task for institutions to be thinking about this transformation. And so I'm curious if there are some productive ways that you have seen institutions respond as we're starting to imagine being more responsive to student interest in a variety of modalities. I think that it's been productive to get widespread understanding of the real cost of doing quality online education. And that it isn't just jumping into a Zoom room and and having as many students as you can accommodate in the Zoom room and lecturing. I think we're, by and large, largely understanding that's the case. And so it's productive to understand that there are investments that need to be made and planned for. That administrators know now that when they're planning to develop and offer online programs, that there's a significant investment they're going to make. I think the other thing that we're seeing, and I would say this is happening very recently with the advent of AI, is that there's starting to be a lot of investigation, and sometimes it feels very frenzied, actually, but there's starting to be a lot of investigation in ways to increase efficiency and delivery, because that was always the promise of online education, low-cost access for everyone. And then we realized there's a lot of work to be done to make those experiences quality. Now we're looking at AI that can really uh, serve as job aids for faculty to reduce their time because higher ed is a very human enterprise. Education is a very human enterprise and it has a lot of labor costs. And so I think AI and experimentation around it is allowing us to think about how do we how can we do that work more efficiently? I think it's helping reconceptualize higher education's role and helping students understand how to use technology and, and therefore improving their employability because of it. This has been true for a while, but particularly as we see AI sort of burst onto the scene in higher education, I think there's a widespread understanding that we need to be helping students and playing a particular role in teaching students about using this kind of technology because it's going to be how work gets done and it's about employability. Related to that is we're starting to talk about this as an opportunity to improve pedagogy. Because what students need to know and be able to do is changing, pedagogy needs to adapt. And so I think we're looking at ways of changing the activities that we ask our students to do and what we're actually assessing about their learning and their skills. And that's a really positive outcome from all of this. Well, the velocity of change in higher education has increased rapidly, so has the needs of learners. 
Keep listening as we discuss the importance of modality and pedagogy as it relates to providing quality online instruction. would you say are the biggest challenges for higher education institutions that are looking to tackle this approach to thinking about the various modalities that learners are increasingly seeking? It's great that we're seeing all of the experimentation and innovation in an effort to put students first and to meet what students really are asking for. And really, that's the trend we're seeing is this experimentation with different kinds of modalities. But beyond that, there's not a lot of consistency with it and not a lot of transparency about what it means. So there's a lot of variation in approaches to combining different modalities in the same learning experience. Um, HyFlex is the example that everybody uses, but there's a lot of there's a lot of experimentation with models of face-to-face or on-campus learning with different kinds of technology-based digital learning. There's examples of asynchronous and synchronous within both of those kinds of modalities. And so it's great that we're experimenting, but we also have very inconsistent terminology. And it's it's hard to explain that to students. And you have to have, what we're seeing is institutions developing their own terminology and now they're starting to move to, to try to define it for their students, but from one institution to another, that there's no consistency. And so that's going to be really challenging when we try to learn from this in, in terms of what works and what doesn't work and in terms of the affordances of those modalities, in terms of different types of students and what's best for them. So this will be challenging. It's early days, though. So I have, I'm positive that this will we will come out of the other side of this better. I think the best outcome or one of the best outcomes, and this is from my perspective now, <laughs> one of the best outcomes Essentially, it's blurring the lines between the different modalities. We are finally getting past that really unhelpful question, is online as good as face-to-face? Because it's hard to say what is online and what is face-to-face in a pure fashion anymore. Well, and Deb, you also make me think about the fact that learners are collecting knowledge and gaining experience from a plethora of different day-to-day experiences, their own exploration, alternative uh, providers. And so there's certainly a complex web of ability to gain knowledge that learners are exposed to. How do you advise educational institutions to be thinking about educational content, thinking about quality and the acquisition of knowledge and skills while also being, I guess, more inclusive of the potential that learning can come from so many places. I would say that in a very fundamental way, we in higher education need to treat all of these as learning experiences. That's how we need to see them. If there's extracurricular, if it's co-curricular, if it's something that the student is learning from and can demonstrate, it's important that we be able to recognize that. So we have to improve our understanding of learning acquisition and learning demonstration. But the other part of this is higher education has a particular role to play in it and putting the pieces together in ways that are purposeful and pedagogically appropriate for the learning award that you want to be able to give. And this just means being open to to try to really understand and rethink how that that learning that's happening outside of your classroom fits into the larger 
learning plan for the student. And to me, it's there, there's some some analogies to things that have happened in the past with the advent of cal- calculators or Wikipedia. The, our first reaction was, now these are learning tools, not learning content. But for these learning tools, it was we need to keep students away from them because that's out there. And then it became clear that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't the best strategy, both in terms of you're spending all your energy forbidding students or blocking students, and instead on how best to use it and how to change your pedagogy to involve those things. And it's the same kind of thing. We could we need to be thinking about this learning framework for the students and how these other pieces fit into it. Because this is where students are learning different things. But higher education, we have the subject matter expertise and the the particular skill sets around critical thinking and all, all of those things that we need to bring to bear, provide a framework for the learning for the students and to help them make the best use of those things that they are learning outside of the classroom. But we have a role to play to put the pieces together. Agreed. And putting the pieces together also makes me think about how in a digitally connected ecosystem, collaboration and partnership are tools that we also have at our disposal to think about serving the learners. And so I'm curious if you have any comments on the way collaboration and and partnership can really be a resource to institutions looking to tackle this responsiveness to the desire of learners to have a variety of learning experiences available. I think we're at a time and in a climate that financially and from a capacity perspective, it's very difficult to go it alone and be all things to all students. And it's actually not in their best interest because that's not how their career trajectories are going to evolve anyway. It is really important to learn this. And I think one of the things that I have found to be really helpful in supporting collaboration and encouraging collaboration rather than than putting up walls is starting with a student-centered perspective. I have yet to meet anybody, any faculty member, any administrator in higher ed who wouldn't say that they are 100% behind creating positive learning experiences and productive learning experiences for students. It's a commonality we can all rally around. Finding those commonalities are important and ensuring quality is a key. In fact, Quality Matters was came into being actually to solve this essentially a trust issue between a consortium of colleges and universities that wanted to be able to share courses. And they had to convince each other that their core online courses were of equivalent quality. So they needed a mechanism to do that. So they put student first. They recognize quality is, the, is a factor that they can all define and apply in ways that help them do that collaboration that they needed to do. Because especially at that time, uh, there wasn't sufficient opportunities for online learning. And for very different reasons now today, we're seeing that happen again, that we have to best serve our students and to make sure that they have full access. We need to be collaborating in different ways to bring the best for the students. And that's going to require some common understanding of quality and a, an appreciation or engagement and a continuous improvement process. I would say, and you mentioned at the very beginning of this, the Chloe surveys, what surfaced from this was this idea of quiet quality. There are a lot of institutions doing significant 
quality assurance work, at least around the digital learning piece, because that's what we study. But they're not talking about it. They're not communicating it to students. They're not talking about it to their stakeholders. They're not using it in marketing or in any kind of public sense. And if you think about where we are in higher education, where the, we see survey after survey of the public saying, oh, we're losing confidence in the value of higher education, we are losing trust, and starting to see that coming from students. And yet we have research evidence to show that when you do this work, students recognize it and they benefit from it. So why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we, why aren't we talking about this at every level of the institution? and externally, because we are doing the work to make the difference. We put students at the center. We're creating these quality processes. We are breaking down our institutional barriers and working with each other to do it. Why aren't we talking about it? Deb, I'm so glad we're talking about it today. And I'm so glad that the advice that I hope our listeners will take away is that they should be talking about it. And if they want to talk about these best practices and ways to increase quality at their institutions, I hope they'll reach out to Quality Matters. And so grateful for all of your insights and the experience you're sharing, wisdom you're sharing with us today. Any final thoughts or tips or comments that you'd want to add? I would say that quality assurance is really hard work. We really appreciate that it requires some kind of systematic approach in a field that values individuality and uniqueness. And so there's always got to be a balance there that we play. And I think that as we move forward, just a commitment to doing that and, and actually the technologies that we're going to have at our disposal will help us walk that line to achieve both those things and respect the culture of higher education while at the same time that we're improving the quality of it. Thank you for listening and a big thank you to Deb for her insight. Acadium has been honored to partner with Quality Matters in a year-long effort along with the course sharing community to develop standards for institutional recognition for quality course sharing. These standards will serve as a guide for teaching institutions expanding online learning through course sharing to ensure a quality experience for all learners. Make sure to subscribe to the Partnerships for Progress podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you know when the next conversation is live.